Hey, if you got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, we're closing out this brief little series we started just three weeks ago called What's Next? If you're new, the whole idea for, for this series came from just one little sentence in Scripture, Psalm 16, 11, God, uh, the psalmist writes of God, you make known to me the path of life, you fill me with joy in your presence. So p- apparently there's this path that God has laid out and He'll make known and it's going to lead to your life and joy and meaning and purpose and overall human flourishing, which uh, sounds pretty awesome to me. So I thought we'd spend three weeks talking about what we can do to get onto this path of life. Uh, because here's the other truth. There's some trails veering off this path of life. And they've got a lot of people and bright lights and shiny objects and everybody seems happy, but it's a sham. It's a trick. What did the psalmist say? Where is joy found in God's presence? So if you've missed any of the previous messages, you can check them out online. But today, need to talk to you about spiritual maturity. Sounds exciting, right? You guys pumped up? All right, let's go. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, things are about to get real. But, it's about to take a turn. But, you guys having a good morning so far? We're going to change that. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with those kinds of people, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, ain't no grave. And I'll hold this down. Christ is going to shine on you. Be very careful then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, thank you for your word. There is a lot there. Give us attentive spirits. Open our hearts to hear what it is exactly that you are trying to speak to us. Make us willing to make the changes 
in order to become more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There are two types of people in the world. Those who build Legos with a book. Those who build Legos with their brain. I am the former and not the latter. I need my Lego structures to have instructions thoroughly detailed. Every step of the process lined out for me. I'm the guy that in the picture is counting all of the studs between the pieces or the circles, as my wife calls them. How many circles are between? They're called studs, babe. You're married to one. Come on, you should remember. The circles that... Uh, how many circles? I have found that not everybody in the world actually needs the manual. In fact, there's people that can build stuff like this. I've got some pictures for you to take a look at. And they need zero directions. My son and I watched this show on Fox called Lego Masters. Evidently, there's a whole subculture of people out there who just get together and build stuff like that with Legos. And they do it just for fun. And I was so envious, so I went downstairs, pulled out all my Legos, and started to build, and it was a disaster. I've seen little kids build better things than what I could come up with in my own mind, and my envy turned into resentment, and I burned all my Legos. That's not true. But I tried to reassure myself that if given enough time, I could probably get a little better. But overall, I understand that I'm not going to have the same results as the Lego Masters unless the Lego Masters give me some detailed directions that I can follow. Now, in the same way, when it comes to life, when it comes to joy, when it comes to this path that God has laid out for you, there are some folks who need the manual, the path all spelled out for them, the directions and everything, while there's other folks who simply just need to start. They need an overall direction, a compass, and they're good, a concept. And the beauty of the Bible is God makes a way for both people. So you might write this down. Who we are tells us how to live. Who we are will tell you how to live. This path of life that God's laying out is a process of recognition. Because if you're trying to be a Lego master, when you're just a manual builder, then of course you're going to be frustrated. Of course you're going to blame God and question Him. Of course you're going to try and manufacture your own results because you don't understand who you are. But when you understand who you are in God's eyes, you won't be tempted to try and prove it in somebody else's. And we need to figure out uh, what God has in store for us. And when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And when we know what to do, it's going to change how we live. So who are you? According to Ephesians 5 verse 1, you are dearly loved children of God. Which at present, that might be hard for some of us to believe. How could God love me? How can I be His child if God is God, then He knows everything, and if He knows everything, He couldn't possibly love me. But go read Ephesians 1 and 2 this week. If you do, you'll see the overarching theme within Ephesians is that God the Father loves you so much that He sent His Son Jesus to make a way for you to be adopted into the family. And you'll read language like, when you were dead in your trespasses, even then, God sent His Son to make you alive through Jesus. And you'll read about how by grace you've been saved. 
so that nobody can boast. And if you'll read Ephesians 2.10, you'll see that we are God's workmanship. You were handcrafted. That word could mean poetry. God spoke you into existence and you created you in Christ for good works that God prepared for you to do. That you'd walk in them. That is to say, regardless of what you believe about yourself, what God believes about you is you're special. And He's got a good plan for you and a good purpose for you. And unfortunately, no matter how eloquent I am today, I can't make you believe that. I can just tell you it's true, biblically. But again, who we are will tell us how to live. When we know who we are, we know how to live. So how do I live? Well, Paul actually gives us a list. In fact, he gives us two lists. A list of do's and a list of don'ts. So what I want us to do quickly is go through both of these lists. And then I want us to talk about the motivation we should have in order to accomplish the list. Because as you'll see, you already know everything on both lists. Our problem is not generally knowledge. It's ambition. It's like, how do we actually do this? But let's go through the don'ts first. Number one, do not, as children, dearly loved children of God, do not engage in sexual immorality or impurity. Not even a hint, Scripture says. Except in my experience, the question is generally not, how do we avoid any sexual immorality? But rather, the question is, how close can we get without actually doing anything? And so is, well, what about the basis? Well, not even a hint. What about making out? Not even a hint. Well, what if they're super hot? <laughs> Hell is also super hot. That should probably not be the question that you're asking yourself. I'll say it like this. Sexual pleasure without responsibility is not found in the path of life. And any hint of anything sexual outside the covenant relationship of one man and one woman does not lead to joy. Might lead to pleasure, but not joy. And again, I'm trying to help you on this path of joy. And God says, do not engage in any sexual immorality or impurity, not even a hint. Number two, do not engage in covetousness or greed. Verse 3 starts with sexual immorality, but ends with greed. So it could say, but among you, there must not even be a hint of greed either. However, in today's world, we don't call it greed. We call it marketing and advertising. So we like to rename things in order to make it more palatable. But according to the Word of God, seeing desirable things and loving them in an unhealthy way is a sin. And if you've ever said to yourself, I wish I had. I wish I was more like. I wish you were more like. That's wrong. That's coveting. That's greed. Shouldn't have a hint of that. Number three, do not participate in obscenity, foolish talk, or crude humor. Uh Uh-oh. Anybody else convicted on this one? Don't worry. It'll get worse before it gets better. So I'll ask a somewhat rhetorical question. Is gossip considered foolish talk? Because according to verse 12, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Man, we're only four verses in. This is terrible. Don't worry, I'm starting a new series next week. It'll be way more fun. (laughs) 
Number four, as dearly loved children of God, do not be deceived. I like how the scripture says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because I don't know of a better way to describe the political landscape in this country than empty words. You know, this whole Supreme Court thing going on, regardless of where you land on it, you realize nobody would be upset if Supreme Court justices just did what they were supposed to do and dictate the law, interpret the law as it was written. Like no party would be upset about justices if they just did what they were doing. Perhaps even more than good preaching, the best gift I could give you is to think critically for yourself. Like, Lord, help us if the only place we get our news is on the face box and from one side of the aisle or the other. Like, meet in the middle. Read both sides of both accounts. Listen to me. Do not be deceived. Not everything you hear or read is truthful. You know what is? This book right here. Please don't take my word for it. Please don't take the news's word for it. Line everything up with what you've read right in here. Number five, do not partner with sinful people. Verse seven. Notice, does it say don't associate with sinful people? Because you would need to find a new planet and that would be rather inconvenient. But rather it says don't partner. Don't get involved with people who are known for sinful behavior. Meaning... If people are known for doing something that's wrong, you can't do what they're doing. And if uh, it doesn't mean you can't love them. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to them or be friends with them. It means you can't align yourself up with them when you know that they're going to go do things that are wrong. Finally, number six, he says, do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. If you're over 21 and don't cause other people to stumble, it's not a sin to have a drink. Now, some of you grew up in some weird biblical religious traditions where they did really weird things to the Bible, and they'd go to John 2 where Jesus turns water into wine, and they'd say, it's not wine, it's grape juice. What? No, have you been drinking? Because who would interpret it like that? That's clearly not what it is. Otherwise, Ephesians would say, do not get drunk on grape juice. <laughs> You're like, well, that would not be hard. I think my odds of drowning would exceed my odds of drunkenness if I'm tempting to get drunk on grape juice. Plus, there's a Greek word for grape juice, and there's a Greek word for wine, and we can be sure that the Bible's talking about wine. So yes, the Bible does talk about wine. It talks about alcohol. It actually talks about beer in Proverbs. Uh, it's pretty clear that those things are not a sin. However, it is sin to disobey the law. It is sin to cause others to stumble. And it is sin to get drunk. And yes, this would include other substances. Literally had conversations with people like, well, it doesn't say anything about whiskey. What (laughs) kind of weird alcoholic Pharisee are you? You know, it's not just limiting itself to wine. It's alcohol in general. I would argue that it means a lot of substances besides alcohol. If you're being controlled by prescription medications... If you're being controlled by nicotine, tobacco, the Bible says you should be self-controlled and alert. Can't do that if you're drunk or high. Paul is clearly saying if you want to be under the control of something, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And if you're struggling with something in life, don't turn to substances. Turn to a spirit of God. Look, as Christians, we don't escape our problems. We overcome them by the power of God. Can I hear a better amen right there, somebody? Amen. 
So there's your six do nots. They're not complicated. All things you probably knew, you just didn't like. Now here's a list of do's. You want joy to the full? Do imitate God. Do follow God's example. Sort of a big request though, right? Monumental request. Imitate God. Follow God's example. Like we need to start asking ourselves, well, how would God treat them? What would God say? What would God do? What would God give? How would God respond? How would God react? What would God think? What would God feel? All of life now becomes God-centered. You know, you realize Jesus gave up his life for the same people most people reject. Do imitate God. Number two, do walk in love. This is a habitual, ongoing lifestyle. You love people. This includes generosity and affection and in service and investment in people. Love means giving yourself up as Christ gave himself up. So for a season, you might not be able to do everything that you want to do because we are giving up our desires to follow God's example. Refer back to do not engage in the hint sexual immorality, right? Walk in love. But not just in love. Number three, we're also going to walk as children of light. What does that mean? Do we glow in the dark? No. But it means being honest about your own sin and putting it all out in the light. First John says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. In other words, walking in the light means talking to God and other Christians and being honest about the struggles that we are facing. It's saying to someone, hey, here's what's going on. Here's where I'm failing. I don't want to hide in the darkness anymore. So we put it all out into the light. And we let people know, look, I need help. I need accountability. I need support. This is what's going on. And I know it's ugly. I know it's hard to look at. That's why I was trying to keep it in the dark. But because I need Jesus, I also need help from Jesus' people. And so we walk in the light. This is hard, of course, because even though there's light at the end of the tunnel, sometimes our eyes like to adjust to the darkness. And so we need people in our lives who are carrying flashlights. That's why we've designed small group the way we have, so that you can have a safe place to walk in the light. Because... We know that as children of light, that we need people to help expose some of our areas of darkness. And we do not want that light that's in the tunnel to be a train that wrecks your whole life. So we need to help you expose some things. Number four, discern what pleases God. All of a sudden, the Christian life is no longer, what do I want? The question is, what does God want? We need to start asking, Lord, would you... Uh, help me, should I do this or not do this? Should I say this or not say this? Should I give this or not give this? Lord, what is going to satisfy you? That is the question. Yes, so often that is not the question we ask. In fact, we decide what we want and then ask God to do that. No, we first need to pray, God, what do you want me to do? And then we should obey. But that was last week's message. Talking about obedience. So find out what pleases the Lord. And friends, this is why we have the Word of God. So that we can know 
who God is and what pleases Him. Hope you understand the most of the answers that people are asking are answers that have already been given in the Bible. Too often, Christians go searching for answers when they should be searching the Scriptures, because that is where the answers lie. People say, well, doesn't God want me to have the desires of my heart? If they line up with His desires, yes. So find out what pleases the Lord. Walk as wise, number five. Walk as wise. The Bible makes it clear that the world is filled with folly. Matter of fact, the entire juxtaposition in Proverbs is folly of the world versus the wisdom of the Lord. And I'd like to remind everybody that some things in life are not sinful. They're just stupid. (laughs) They're just dumb. You can say, oh, it's not a sin. Yeah, it's not wise either. Like having a hobby is not sinful, but when your hobbies overtake your life and when you don't have time for God or His people or His Word because of all your recreational activities or your online addiction or your stupid fantasy football team, you're not the owner of the team, okay? And social media, sure, you're not sinning, but you're not being wise, Going back to alcohol, it might not be a sin for you, but it might be stupid for you to have a drink. So don't do it. Because if you look at your life, as God tells you to live as a steward, you'll realize you've only got so many days and so many dollars. That's why you need to live wisely. And number six, you have to make the best use of your time. So what else we have to do? Make the best use of our time. So seriously, how are you doing with your time? You know, I have only a certain number of hours on this earth. And God has called us to make an investment and a deposit into his kingdom and into the well-being of other people. So really, how's it going for you? Did you know today the average student, by the time they graduate high school, will have spent more time watching television than attending school? Let that sink in. By the time your kids graduate high school, they'll have spent more hours with technology than they will have had in school. And that doesn't even include video games. I'm just talking about TV. So depending which survey you believe, the average high school male will spend between three and four hours a day playing the video games. Forget the kids. How much time do you waste with technology? Some of you say, well, technology is not a waste. Well, maybe not. Sometimes it is. For the sake of argument, I'll follow you on that. Forget technology. How much time do you just waste gossiping, being lazy, doing nothing to benefit society whatsoever? You know the two words I've never read in Scripture simultaneously? Me time. Never found that in all the Bible. Read it through a few times. Can't help but believe much of this has contributed to this season of extended adolescence that we suffer in this country where men, you know, are are bumping up against 30 before they get married. Women are bumping up against 30 before they get married. Oftentimes it's because they've wasted time. They haven't invested time. They shouldn't get married because they're not ready to be married because they've wasted so many years of their life. Moving on, number seven, do be filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, is a person, not a force. 
Jesus promised us that he would return uh, three days when he rose from the grave and he would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. Jesus called the Holy Spirit a he, not an it, because he is a person. He's part of the Godhead. And just as he empowered the life of Jesus, he empowers the life of Jesus's followers. We can be filled with the Spirit. Perhaps some of you have been exposed to weird quasi-Holy Spirit things and you've seen people flop around like a fish out of water or try and chatter in some kind of alien language or dance around like they were in some kind of aerobics class and you've been taught that if you just really go for it, the Holy Spirit will show up. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is already here. Okay, He's already been poured out. He's with God's people already. It's not that we have to conjure him up. It's that we have to avail ourselves to his presence. The language here, be filled with the spirit in the Greek. It is literally the imagery of sailing. So the wind is blowing. There's a boat out on the lake, but it's not moving. doesn't have any energy or momentum unless somebody puts up the sail. Once the sail is up, the sail gets filled, the boat is moved and propelled along. That's the language. So when we are walking in sin, when we are walking in foolishness, when we are walking in rebellion, the Holy Spirit, He's still there, blowing. Jesus said in John 4, the Holy Spirit's like wind, but we're not moving because our sail is down. We don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. We don't want to do what He tells us to do. We don't want to go where He's pushing us to go. So what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit wants to fill you, and He wants to change you, and He wants to enlighten you, and He wants to inform you, and He wants to move you, and He wants to work through you. He's already here. He's just waiting for you to put up your proverbial sail. It's not that the Holy Spirit is unwilling. It's that we are. That's the issue. And he goes on to say, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll, number eight, sing in passionate worship to God. You'll sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I tell you what, people like to tell me, well, I'm just not much of a singer. Well, people will cheer the gods in the stadium, will they not? Uh, Sport is their God. And they show up to church, and they paint their faces, and they sing... Ole, 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 ole. And fans show up to venues to cheer for their favorite band and sing all their songs, right? See, worship is happening. It's happening everywhere. So it certainly should be happening among God's people. If idolaters are singing for their team, maybe we should sing for the God who conquered sin and death. I don't know about you, but when Kellen sang that, Lyric, uh, the lion, God raises, Jesus comes out of the grave like a lion. I wanted to take my music stand and just start banging this TV. I was like, yes! Yes, he did! He changed my life because of it. I knew Jeremy would need the lyrics to the song, so I didn't do it. Do you not find it ironic that generally the happiest, loudest places on earth tend to be the same places where there's alcohol and music? So the very two things that Paul uses to compare and contrast the Holy Spirit. So you show up to a bar, it's loud, it's packed, everybody's excited, there's a lot of activity, a lot of energy, and usually there's a band playing up front, although tragically 
There's also sometimes the debauchery of karaoke. I mean, we are so far from the Lord at that point. It's just unfathomable. But isn't it interesting that when unbelievers gather together, they do so in a common place with other people that they often don't even know because we're so hardwired for connection and music and you just got to get around people. So even unbelievers have the need to be filled with something and sing to something. In other words, deep down, everybody wants to be a Christian because we're all made in God's image and His likeness. And God's made us to gather together. Except God's filled His people with a desire to be filled with someone, not something. And that's the Holy Spirit. And God's made us to sing And if we're not singing to Jesus, we'll sing to someone or something else. So wouldn't it make sense for us as Christians to start making music and singing loud to our God? I was just having this conversation with Jeremy because I was bemoaning the fact that all good music is not coming from the church. It's like, how come all the great music is not coming out of churches? So I challenged him. I said, I want you to make good music. And I want you and the band to start playing good music. And here's what I know. They'll do that. And it will probably not be your favorite music, but it will be passionate and God's going to love it because he told us to do it. Sing and make passionate worship to God. Furthermore, number nine, give thanks for everything. Everything. So this is an attitude of gratitude where you're always wondering, what can I be thankful today? This is not some sort of naivety or glibness. It is saying to yourself, God is good. So I need to be seeking and searching out the goodness of God in my life and then stopping to thank him for the grace that he has afforded me today throughout the course of my today. And even if everything seems to be going wrong, I'm going to say to God, thanks for the opportunity for allowing me to become more like you because you suffered for me and I'm suffering today. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying God put it on his list. But then lastly, it says, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21. This means as you're a part of the church family, if somebody who loves Jesus and speaks into your life uh, says something to you, you're going to listen. Doesn't mean you immediately agree. In fact, most of us will be like, well, what, here's what God told me about you. Okay, you want to talk about... Uh, but if they're right, you're going to listen and you're going to apologize or make a course correction or repent because at the end of the day, to be filled with the Spirit is to be submissive to the truth. Now, check this out. Isn't it interesting that there's more do's than there are don'ts? Ten do's, six don'ts. Because all I heard about growing up uh, in church was all the don'ts. You can't. But that's not God. Because God's not trying to keep anything from you. When you look at these lists, you should be thinking to yourself, well, look at all the good stuff I get to do, right? Uh, But here's what I want us to spend the rest of our time figuring out. How in the world are we going to do this? Because even though there's more do's than there are don'ts, there's still a lot. Like how many of y'all quit taking notes about halfway in? Because like, this is too much. I can't, (laughs) overwhelming. Like uh, you should try the Old Testament, right? 613 commands. 365 do nots, 248 do's. You couldn't write, I mean, you get freaking carpal tunnel syndrome all trying to write all that. Hand all cramped up, it's not worth it. But usually, 
when we start talking about motivation, this is where the pastor gets all moralistic and says, you got to try harder. You got to do better, work smarter, or, or so they'll take the encouraging approach and say, no, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength and you can you have the spirit of God in you and you can do anything, which is true. But if you can be honest with yourself, it's not all that hard to follow a list. Matter of fact, you don't even have to believe in God to follow a list. I could have given an atheist the same list and said, hey, uh, I promise you, if you'll do these things and taking God out of the equation, uh, this will lead to a better life. And if they were somewhat self-motivated, they could have followed through on everything on the list. So the question again is how? How do we not rely on our own abilities to do good things, not the bad things? Because despite it being simple, if you're anything like me, uh, you won't be able to consistently do what's on the list because at some point you're going to be like, can't do this. So what's going to be different this time? Well, hopefully you'll remember that when you know who you are, you'll know how to live. That is to say, the only way you're going to do all the things of the do list and the avoid the things in the do not list is by understanding that you are a dearly loved child of God. And to stay motivated, you have to get to know your dad. It's not about discovering yourself. It's about forgetting yourself accomplishing these things because you're focused on the Father. Here's the trouble. Depending on who you believe, up to 40% of kids in this country will go to bed tonight without a father. Somewhere between 20 and 25 million children. And this is not just because uh, dads are leaving. This is also because the majority of children born to women, 30 and younger, are born out of wedlock. So single mothers. So what we have for the first time in our nation's history is a near majority of children growing up without a dad. And even those with a dad factor in now bad dads, violent dads, abusive dads, unloving dads, a dad who will not provide and will not protect. It starts to explain the brokenness that we see in our Christian culture. See, the reason it's hard to stay on this path of life and stay motivated Because we misunderstand God as a dad. We misunderstand the adoptive family that God is trying to set up. Think about what happens when a kid gets adopted. What's the very first thing that gets changed? Last name, right? This is all about identity. Their identity literally completely changes. This is no longer your name. This is now your new name. And isn't that just like God? I mean, how often in Scripture do you see him renaming people? Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Peter, I could have given you a dozen examples. So when you're adopted into the family of God by God the Father, your identity literally changes. That's why we bear the family name of Christian. Here's why that's such good news. Because before God the Father adopts us, Ephesians 5, 6 says that God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So before you are adopted by God the Father as a non-Christian, your identity is one of son of disobedience under the wrath of God. But once God the Father adopts you into His family through Jesus, your new identity is what? Dearly loved. Child of God. Children of light. You seen that? So before you were a Christian, God was angry. And now you're a Christian, He's not. Before you were a Christian, He had punishment awaiting you. 
Now that you're a Christian, there's not. The punishment was already poured out on Jesus. The wrath already rent to Jesus. Your big brother took care of everything. Everything's changed. Now your motivation can change. Why? Because when you understand God as dad, if God tells me no, it must mean this is a bad thing because my dad is a good dad. So write this down. My family identity changes my frequent activities. My family identity changes my frequent activities. So if you've ever shown up to church and you're like, well, those people are weird. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Family is for weird people. And family is where people drive each other nuts, right? Who drives you more nuts than your family? Nobody. That's what family is for. Family is for your sanctification. So your family is to drive you nuts. It's their job to help you grow and be more patient and loving and merciful and forgiving. Please do not walk into a church with the idealistic, judgmental view where the church is there to meet my needs. No, we are a family. And one of the things that happens in a family is everybody's got a chore. How many of y'all grew up in a big family and you had a chore the moment you woke up and everybody had to take care of each other and everybody had to help out? Those of you who are older in the faith, you're looking out for those who are younger. You're like big brothers and big sisters. Those of you who are newer to the Christian faith, you're like little brothers and little sisters. So the big brothers and big sisters look after the little brothers and little sisters. This is what happens. So we're not a club that meets 52 times a year. We're family that meets constantly. That's why we can't just be a podcast or a YouTube channel. Because families get together and we help each other. And we help each other stay motivated to accomplish the do's and don'ts. And together with God is the only way you'll stay motivated to accomplish the list. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us life and a path to follow. God, I know not everybody needs these things all spelled out for them. But others of us do. Another of us need just the reminder of, hey, we got to stay away from these things. It's not leading us the way God wants us to go. These are the things that you need to do to find life and joy and fulfillment and human flourishing. Some of you have neglected your do list. God brought you here just as a reminder. Say, hey, here's where you can get a little bit better has nothing to do with your effort. has to do with remembering who I am and the Holy Spirit that I want to fill you with and the godly people I've put into your life. It's how you accomplish these lists. Some of you have maybe never been adopted into this family of God. And I want to make it clear that Jesus, your big brother, has paid your penalty. You can be part of the family. Those of you watching online, same is true for you. God's ready to move and act on your behalf. He's got a good purpose for your life. You are handcrafted by God. You're special. Make the best use of your time. Father, forgive our sin. Help us where we've fallen short. Make us new. Change our lives. 
Give us an opportunity this week to spread your love, to walk as children of light in this dark world. Help us not to engage in petty differences, but rather point people to fullness of life and the kingdom that is to come and the joy we can have for all eternity. With your son, Jesus, we ask all this in his powerful name. Amen.